Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Who is this guy? Jesus. Who is this guy? Jesus. We've been looking at this question for the last few weeks as we've been working our way through the first half of the Gospel of Mark, and everyone within the story has been asking themselves this question, who is this guy, Jesus, who heals a leper, who heals a crippled, who doesn't obey the Sabbath, who doesn't obey the ceremonial washing of hands, who sees above the law, who forgives sins, who eats with sinners and outcasts, who heals a woman who is unclean with bleeding and a a dead girl by touching them, who drives out a whole legion of demons, who calms a storm, who walks upon the waves of the sea, who feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Everyone is asking, who is this guy Jesus? And there's been a whole mix of reactions to who Jesus is. Huge crowds are following Jesus because they're filled with awe and wonder. Sinners and outcasts and those who have been marginalized are drawn to Jesus. The desperate are drawn to Jesus. But there are some who are afraid of Jesus... They, they are afraid because they don't understand the power He has. They can't control Him. So they ask Him to leave. And He does. And then you have the powerful political leaders and the powerful religious leaders who are threatened by Jesus' popularity. They are threatened because Jesus challenges the status quo. And they stubbornly refuse to see the evidence right before their eyes. Even though they they can see the evidence, they explain it away. They accuse Jesus of being possessed by demons. They say, well, he does all these miraculous things because he's empowered by evil spirits. Even his mother and his own family think he's gone mad. His hometown rejects him. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? But most people, the majority, are filled with awe and wonder. And they say, the crowd say, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And even the disciples are constantly amazed, albeit terrified as well. And and they say, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Yet despite this, the disciples never seem to fully grasp who Jesus really is. Their constant amazement and fear is actually the problem. Because if they really understood who this guy, Jesus, is, then they wouldn't be filled with fear, but they would be filled with faith. 
And we have this constant refrain throughout the gospel. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And we told again and again. For they had not understood. Their hearts were hardened. Even the disciples were stubbornly refusing to believe the evidence that was right before them. And in Mark chapter 8 and verses 17 and verse 18, Jesus says to them, Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears, but fail to hear. You know that sorrowful look a teacher gives you when they try to explain something to you for the 20th or 30th time and you just don't get it? I think Jesus had that look on his face. I mean, you get the feeling he's getting frustrated with these disciples because they're so slow on the uptake. And like a good teacher, he doesn't give them the answer. There's no point in a math teacher giving their students the answer to the problem. They've got to work it out for themselves. Jesus is pointing at all the evidence. He's given them all the pieces to the puzzle, but they have to put it together for themselves. They have to work out for themselves. Who is this guy? Jesus. And so do we. We have to work it out for ourselves. Now what's very interesting is that the, the next story that Mark tells in Mark chapter 8 and verse 22 to 25 is a story about a blind guy. These guys bring their blind friend to Jesus to be healed. So Jesus takes him aside and he spits in the guy's eyes and puts his hands on the guy's eyes. And then he says, can you see anything? Now you kind of expect the guy to respond, well, what do you think? You just spat in my eyes. I can't see a thing. But amazingly, he starts peering around and he says, I can see. I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, his, his vision is still blurry. So Jesus touches his eyes again. This is the only time Jesus has two takes at a healing. Jesus touches his eyes again. And all of a sudden we read in, in, in uh, verse 25, Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. It's almost as if Jesus' disciples have been, have had their eyes touched once. They can see, but, but everything's still blurry. What they need is Jesus to touch their eyes a second time so that they can see clearly. And we read in verse 27, Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Now it's quite a walk to Caesarea Philippi from Bethsaida where Jesus has just healed this blind guy. It's about 25 miles to the north. And Caesarea Philippi is a, is a very beautiful area. It's at the foot of the, the Mount Hermon range. And there's a whole lot of natural water springs. You have the source of the River Jordan in that area. Uh, so it's a very long walk and a very tranquil walk. And it's, all, and it's while Jesus is walking that we read, on the way he asked them, on the way. They, they're not in a classroom. They're not in church. They're walking and talking. And he asked them, Who do people say I am? Like a good teacher, he doesn't ask the direct threatening question, Who do you say I am? But he asks the general question. What's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? This is less threatening. I can imagine all the disciples chipping in. We read in verse 28, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And this list is very similar to, to what we have in Mark chapter 6 and verses 14 to 15. I'll just quickly read that to you. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work within him. Others said he's Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. Now what's amazing is that Jesus doesn't say, What? Are you kidding me? Is that really what people think? How can I be John the Baptist? I mean, you guys, you, you saw me with John. At the same time, how can I be John? And how can I be Elijah? I mean, that guy's been dead for like hundreds of years. And he doesn't even say, well, that's clearly wrong. You guys know that. Because there is truth in that answer. Jesus is a prophet, a great prophet. But he's more than that. So why? Was this the public, this the, the, the popular opinion? Why were they saying that? Well, for that, we need to understand what they believed and we need to understand their expectations. Now, for the Jews of that day, they believed that the world was upside down. That evil powers, that sin and death were ruling the world. And so they were waiting for God to step into history and sort out the mess. And they believed that God was going to do this through His Messiah. That through His Messiah, He was going to turn this upside down world the right way up. But before the Messiah would come, based on the prophecies of Deuteronomy 18, 18 and Malachi 4, 5, they believed that before the Messiah would come, God would raise up a prophet like Elijah, who would announce the arrival of the Messiah. That is why even today, Jews, when they celebrate the Passover, they leave an empty chair at the table. It's for Elijah. 
in case Elijah comes back. Now we of course know that that prophet was John the Baptist. That John the Baptist announced the arrival of Jesus. But when the popular, when the, 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 the crowd and the popular opinion is that Jesus is a prophet, and not just a run of a mill prophet, but he's, a, he's an extraordinary prophet. He's a prophet like the prophet Elijah. It's a huge compliment. The crowd simply couldn't deny that God was doing incredible things through Jesus in an unprecedented way. In such a qualitative and quantitative way like no other prophet before. They simply couldn't deny that Jesus was doing what only God could do. And so they say, well, it it must be Elijah. Or, Or it must be John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. Good insight. A lot of truth there. But not the whole truth. They can see, but the people still look like trees walking around. And even today, there are a lot of people who simply can't deny that Jesus is an incredible person and He did incredible things. In fact, Most world religions like Islam and Hinduism would say that Jesus is either a prophet of God or divine. And many people today say that Jesus is a great, if not the greatest teacher ever, a great moral leader, a great role model, a huge inspiration. And it's all true. This is what this is the popular opinion. This is what people are saying. And it's true. But the real question is what do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? For as long as the question and the discussion is about what other people say about Jesus, and as entertaining as it is to debate the pros and the cons of the various views, as long as the discussion is always about what other people are saying, it will always remain at an intellectual level. It would be nothing more than an academic exercise. And so Jesus says in verse 29, But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Wow! That is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that a person has identified Jesus as the Messiah. Now we, of course, as readers, know from the outset that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Those two titles are synonymous. And still within the very first chapter, we have a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. 
But no person has recognized this. Demons continually recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, but no person recognizes this until now. When Peter declares, you are the Messiah. He suddenly got 2020 vision. He's seen clearly now. But what does Peter mean? When he says that Jesus is the Messiah. Now the word Messiah is often translated Christ. And I can remember uh, always thinking that that was Jesus' surname. Mr. Christ. It's not a surname, it's a title which literally means anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one and Christos is the Greek word for anointed one. And in that day, Messiah was a title, and so was the Son of God, was a title for the long-awaited King, whom God would choose and appoint, who would come and bring, usher in God's kingdom, God's salvation, and turn this upside-down world the right way up. And generally, it was assumed that this would be a human agent. But Jesus is doing things that only God does. Forgiving sins, restoring the unclean, walking upon the waves of the sea, and so on. More so you have a voice from heaven declaring, this is my son. This seems to imply that Jesus is more than just a human Messiah, that he's actually God's own son, his unique son, and in some mysterious way that God himself is in the person of Jesus. And when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, he's not just saying that Jesus is the Messiah of the world, he's saying that Jesus is my Messiah, my Savior. He's acknowledging that he too has an unclean heart with evil desires and evil thoughts. That he too needs to be forgiven and cleansed and made new again. That he too needs a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. What made the change? How did he suddenly get this vision? I mean, when we read the Gospels, we so often judge the disciples. How can they be so dense? How can they be so blind? Yet often we aren't any different. Would we be any different there? Are we any different today? What made them so blind to the truth? Well, that had always been their traditional way of viewing the world. And their own hopes and expectations and dreams had hindered their vision. And therefore they couldn't see clearly. And we too have a traditional way of viewing the world. We we inherit our culture's way of understanding how the world works, our culture's understanding of who Jesus is. And our own hopes and expectations blur our vision. What we want blurs our vision. 
What the disciples needed and what we need is a fresh touch from God, that second touch, to open our eyes so that we can see. And I believe that's what happened to Peter. He stopped listening to what the crowds were saying. He stopped listening to the popular opinion. And he started listening to what God was saying. What God was revealing in his spirit. And all of a sudden he came to the realization. What he had always known to be true. Deep down in his heart. All the evidence. All the pieces of the puzzle suddenly fitted together. And he says. You are. The Messiah. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? We've been investigating, looking through the Gospel of Mark over these last few weeks. Perhaps you've even heard other people's testimonies about what Jesus has done for them. Perhaps you've even seen people's lives changed and transformed right in front of your eyes and you've been amazed. And you think, well, Jesus, just like the crowd, well, Jesus is an extraordinary person. He's an unbelievable teacher. He's a huge inspiration. Perhaps even a prophet. But you just can't move beyond that. Can't move beyond seeing people but they look like trees walking around. How do we move beyond that? Well, let me tell you how I move beyond that. Firstly, I started trusting the gospel accounts. You might object, how do we know the gospels are reliable? <coughs> Well, we have more textual evidence and better textual evidence for the reliability of the Gospels than we do for any other historical document from that time period. But more so, what really convinces me is that the Gospel writers and the early disciples who witnessed these events were prepared to die and were killed because they believe the Gospels to be true. I mean, you really got to believe and be convinced that what you saw really happened if you are prepared to die for it. Secondly, I allowed God to touch my eyes and open my eyes to see the truth right before me. In other words, I prayed. And I ask God by His Holy Spirit to come into my life and reveal Himself to me. And God softened my heart and opened my heart to see the extraordinary things He was doing right in front of me and within my spirit. And suddenly I came to the realization that it was true. And deep down in my heart I had known and always known that it was true. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I decided right there and then to put my faith in Jesus and to follow Jesus. And I can declare that Jesus is not only the Messiah of the world, but He's my Messiah, my Savior. 
But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Why don't you make today the day that you put your faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we can see. We can see the evidence, we can see the truth. But we confess that it, the people look like trees walking around. Our sight is blurry. Father, we confess that so often our, our sight is so conditioned by the the cultural norms and expectations that we've inherited, the traditional way of viewing things. We confess too that sometimes our vision is hindered because of our own wants and expectations and hopes and dreams. But Father, today we pray that you would touch our eyes afresh so that we can see clearly. Heavenly Father, won't you by your Holy Spirit come and reveal yourself to us afresh that we might know you. That we might know deep down in our heart the truth. And Father, give us the confidence and the boldness that despite what everyone else is saying that we might be able to stand and declare you are the Messiah. Let's spend a few moments in silence and just allow, open your hearts to God and allow God to come and reveal to you by His Holy Spirit, reveal Himself and minister to you. Amen. Oh,